0: The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in depth one hour radio broadcast features a verse by verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 5, as we follow along with today's lesson.
1: Mark was probably around 22 23 years old. He is the author of the gospel, according to Mark. It is thought that he was around 12 years old at the time of the crucifixion. He gives an interesting little sidelight in his gospel that you don't find in the other gospels. And that is when Jesus was arrested, there was a small boy there in the garden about 12 years old and they grabbed him by the coat but he wriggled free and fled from the garden naked and that's his own little personal account of himself and what happened to him that night but he was a little boy that was interested with Jesus and the things that were going on and a follower of Jesus. His mother was of course one of the disciples of Jesus and Thus, Mark sort of grew up in that atmosphere. But now we're about 10 years later. And so that would put Mark in his early 20s at this point. And he was there to run errands for them, uh, to help them by uh, serving them, carrying the PA systems and stuff like that. (laughs) And when they had gone through the island of Cyprus to Paphos, so they actually went sort of the length of the island because Paphos is at the other end. And Paphos was the capital of the island of Cyprus. There they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now Bar is son, and Jesus is Joshua. Joshua. So he was the son of Joshua, bar Jesus. Jesus was a common name. It was the Hebrew name Joshua. In Greek, it is Jesus. That is why when they spoke of Jesus, they often would say Jesus of Nazareth to identify him and separate him from all of the other little boys named Jesus. Uh, He was Jesus of Nazareth, and that gave them uh, which Jesus they were talking about. Here this fellow is the son of Jesus, Bar-Jesus. And he was with the deputy of the country whose name was Sergius Paulus, who was a prudent man. And he called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Now notice uh, Barnabas and Saul uh, on the island of Cyprus and all. And of course, when they were called, separated into me Barnabas and Saul as the... uh, Team went out. Barnabas was more or less the leading figure. In time, Paul became the leading figure. And then you read, and Paul and Barnabas. But at the beginning, it was Barnabas and Saul. And he desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, uh, this is this bar Jesus, but so is his name by interpretation. Now, it means the skillful one. He was known as a wizard. Uh, he, uh, The people in those days were very superstitious, and they felt that there were people who had uh, supernatural kind of powers, oracles, who could speak God's word. Uh, that's what this Bar-Jesus was, one of the advisors, wizards, who was an advisor uh, to uh, Sergius Paulus, but advising in a... Um, uh, seance kind of a, a way, a, a spirit way. And so Elimus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, that is Barnabas and Saul, seeking to turn the deputy away from the faith. Here's a man, he's the governor over the province, interested in the word of God, but here is this sly fellow there trying to turn him away from the faith. So then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, set his eyes on him. And he said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Now, that isn't political correct speech. (laughs) But Paul didn't care. Pretty scathing and heavy, isn't it? Full of all subtlety and mischief, child of the devil, enemy of all righteousness. Won't you stop trying to pervert the ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee. And you will be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. Not a permanent, but for a time. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Now, here's Sergius Paulus, and he's listening. These guys are sharing the gospel. But here's this fellow that's been his advisor, his counselor, sort of a spirit kind of a guy, and... And he's saying, no, 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 that's not so. You can't, no, no. And and so Paul finally turns to you, child of the devil, you, full of subtlety and mischief, how long are you trying to pervert? You're going to be blind for a time. And the guy goes blind. Paul just goes, wow. (laughs) What kind of a message is this? And so when the deputy that is Sergius Paulus saw what was done. He believed, and he was astonished at the doctrine of the Lord, I imagine. Now when Paul and his companions sailed from Paphos, or Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And so they sailed now across to Turkey, uh, present-day Turkey, Perga in Pamphylia, and from there, John departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, the coastal areas of uh, Pergia uh, or at Pamphylia uh, had a lot of marshes, and there was malaria fever was quite common. And it is quite possible that Paul came down with malaria fever because they didn't stay in the coastal regions but immediately headed for the highlands. And they went on up uh, from Perga to Antioch, which is up in the highlands. It is a rough, rough journey. Uh, They have to go over several ranges to get there. The... It was one of the roughest roads of those days. And yet Paul was anxious to get into the highlands and possibly because of malaria fever. They came to Antioch, which of course is inland. And in that plateau area, which is about 3,500 feet above sea level, They went to the cities of that area with the gospel. Now, that area is called Galatia. And Paul later wrote the book of Galatians to uh, the church of Antioch and Lystra and Derbe and Iconium, which are in this same area. And the letter of Galatians was sent to them. And Paul in his letter to the Galatians, said, you remember when I came unto thee, I had these infirmities. I was sick. Uh, And so that is why it is believed that he perhaps had malaria fever, which caused splitting headaches. And some theorize that that was actually the thorn in the flesh that Paul spoke about. Uh, The splitting headaches is the result of the malaria fever. All speculation, but interesting uh, to consider. Uh, We do know that Paul speaks of his problems that he had. His eyes were so bad, and perhaps again from these severe headaches, it would uh, sort of migraines where these things go in front of your eyes and all. and, And he said, that you would have plucked out your own eyes. You had such love for me. You would have plucked out your own eyes to give them to me. And uh, as he is talking to uh, the people in that area of Galatia. So they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets and Usually, traditionally, they read a portion from the law and a portion from the prophets. The rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, speak up. Then Paul stood up, and he beckoned with his hand, and said, Men of Israel, and you that fear God, give audience. Listen up. Now, This is the only recorded message of Paul in fullness that we have. We do have Athens uh, on on Mars Hill, a portion of the message, but here we find uh, one of Paul's full messages recorded for us. And so he begins to preach to them or exhort them, starting out with their history. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with a strong arm brought them out of it. And about the time of 40 years he put up with their manners in the wilderness. To the Jew their history was very important. And there was always that reminder that the nation was actually brought forth by God. They were slaves in Egypt. God brought them out. God delivered them. God preserved them. God brought them into the land that he had promised to their father Abraham. And and this was always something that was so important to them. It was just their rich heritage. We are God's people. Our nation was conceived by God. And when he had destroyed the seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land, that is the Canaanites, to the children of Israel by lot. You remember Joshua drew lots as to what portion of the land would be occupied by the different tribes. And after that, after the death of Joshua, he raised up judges for about the space of 450 years until the time of Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Cush, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled over them for about 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave witness and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. So we're moving along in their history, coming from their being delivered out of Egypt through the 40 years of wilderness wandering to the 450 years of Judges, to the 40 years of uh, the reign of Saul, and now to David, whom God calls a man after his own heart. An interesting, very interesting statement of God. Because when you look at David, we immediately recognize that David was far from perfect which indicates that you don't have to be perfect to be a man after God's own heart. David had his faults. He had his flaws. But still he was called a man after God's own heart. Not because of his sinless perfection, because he wasn't. But because when he did sin and God Spoke to him about his sin. He was quick to repent of his sin. And David was a man of praise. In fact, David tells us that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people Israel. And David was a man of worship. You might say that he was a man after the heart of God. And being a man after the heart of God, God said, he is a man after my own heart. This is the kind of man who is in harmony with the heart of God. And thus God exalted David, and God blessed him as he will every man who seeks the heart of God. He becomes a man after God's heart. So, the witness of David And of course, God let us know that David wasn't perfect to encourage us to realize that we can still be after the heart of God, worship and in praise. Read the Psalms and and you'll, you'll discover why David was a man after God's own heart. Throughout the Psalms are those beautiful, beautiful, expressions of praise and worship and all a man after God's heart. And God said concerning David, and this again is why he was a man after God's heart, he was a man which shall fulfill all my will. He was wanting to do the will of God. He inquired, how many times you read, and David inquired of the Lord. He was always seeking the counsel and the guidance of God. Now, coming to David, he said, Of this man's seed, singular, hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. In his later years, David, sitting there in the luxury of his palace, watched the people as they were going into the tent to worship God. And David thought, here I am, this lovely palace with all of its marble and ivory. and, and, And God is dwelling over there in the tent. I need to build a house for God that will exceed anything ever built because it'll be for God of glory and beauty and, oh, I'm going to build God a house. And he sort of came to that determination in his mind. So when his friend, the prophet Nathan, came in, David said, Nathan, I've got it. I've been inspired. I'm going to build a house for God. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be magnificent, uh, greater than anything that's ever been built because it will be for God. And Nathan said, "Splendid idea, David. Do it." That night, the Lord came to Nathan and said, "Nathan, you really blew it today. You encouraged David to build the house for me. Nathan, I can't have David building me a house. His hands are bloody. He's a man of war. It's inconsistent." I'm a God of love and peace. And so you're going to have to go tell David that I can't allow him to build me a house because you encouraged him. You're the one that's going to have to tell him he (laughs) can't. But to make it easy on you, tell David, I'll build him a house. And from his seed will come the king who will sit on the throne forever. So the next day, Nathan came in and said, David, I've got some bad news and good news. (laughs) Bad news first. You can't build a house for God. He's rejected that. But the good news is, God said he's going to build you a house. And from your seed, the throne will be established forever. David went in before the Lord and he said, Lord, you took me from the sheep coat and following after the sheep. And you made me a ruler over your people. I mean, he saw where he came from. Humble. I was just a shepherd. I was just a kid out there in the fields of Bethlehem following after sheep. When Samuel the prophet came down and anointed him with oil to be the king, you took me from the sheep coat and falling after the sheep, and you made me the ruler over your people. I mean, what you have done is absolutely amazing. But now you speak of the time to come. Lord, what can I say? If anybody could say it, David was the one that could. I mean, this fellow is so articulate when I want to enhance my own praise, I turn to the Psalms. Because this fellow was so articulate and so capable in expressing praise and all to God. But even at this, David became speechless. What can I say? So here Paul reminds them that God promised David that from his seed the Savior would come. And Paul is saying the Savior did come, and he identifies him as Jesus. And when John the Baptist had fulfilled his course of ministry, he said, Whom do you think that I am? I'm not He, that is the Messiah. But behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes and his feet I'm not worthy to loose. And men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is this word of salvation sent. So John said, I'm not the one, but the one's coming after me. And so Paul is declaring, it's to you that this word of salvation is sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, though they read them every Sabbath day, they actually fulfilled those voices in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet they desired that Pilate, of Pilate, that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the sepulchre. Now notice that Paul is sharing with them and he said to the Corinthians, the gospel that I preach unto you, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried, but the third day rose again. Paul's preaching the gospel to these people. This promise that God made to David was fulfilled. He sent the Savior. He's Jesus. But the Word of God spoke of the Messiah being put to death, suffering, despised, rejected, and that happened. Those prophecies were fulfilled. All the way through, he is showing that God's purposes are being fulfilled in Jesus. The prophecies are being fulfilled by Jesus. If you will compare Paul's sermon with Peter's sermon back in the second chapter of Acts, you'll find that there are many parallels to Paul and Peter's message. And basically, it is the death of Jesus Christ for our sins, his burial, and his resurrection, and these are all the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. So, Paul is showing that Jesus was the promised Messiah. But he gets to the heart of it. God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. For the space of about 40 days, Jesus was appearing to his disciples at different places on different occasions to different groups of them. And they became the witnesses of his resurrection. And we declare unto you glad tidings, or the gospel, uh, the good news. How that the promise which was made to our fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto us, their children. God made the promises to our fathers. He's fulfilled those same promises. Again, pointing back and showing how that all of the things that relate to the life of Jesus were prophesied and predicted in the Old Testament. All of these promises were fulfilled in Jesus and that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Interesting that he should say the second psalm, because in our psalms, as they are in order, it is the second psalm in the order of the psalms in our Bibles. So, he is... Interestingly enough, as when Peter preached his message on the day of Pentecost, when he came to the resurrection, he then began to give scriptures to them showing the promise of the resurrection. Paul uses some of the very same scriptures that Peter used as prophetic of the resurrection. But they felt that when they came to the resurrection, it was important to give them the scriptural basis for the hope of the resurrection. So Paul goes on now to give the scriptural basis. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give to you the sure mercies of David." Wherefore, he said also in another psalm, Thou shalt not allow thy holy one to see corruption. Now David, after he had served his own generation, by the will of God, he fell on sleep, or he died. And he was laid unto his fathers, and his body saw corruption. But he, whom God raised again, saw no corruption. And so the prophecy was not to David, but it was to the seed of David. And the full prophecy is, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will you allow thy Holy One to see corruption. Peter quotes it in all. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. He died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to our own ways. God laid on him the iniquities of us all. For the transgression of my people he was smitten. And so by him is preached to you forgiveness of sins, but even more. And by him, all that believe in him are justified from all things. How glorious. God has declared me innocent. Through Jesus Christ, not only am I forgiven, I'm justified. The slate has been wiped clean. My past sins are blotted out never, never, to be brought up against me. The record is clean. Through Jesus Christ, I have been justified. The law of Moses could not justify anybody. It was impossible that the blood of goats or bulls could put away sin. All they could do was cover But David speaks of how blessed or happy is the man whose sin is covered. If you're happy because your sin is covered, man, you ought to really be jumping when your sins have been exonerated. They don't exist. They've been wiped out. Forgiven, yes, that's better than covered. But God takes one step more. He wipes the slate clean, and we've been justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Law of Moses couldn't do that. Beware, therefore, lest it comes upon you which was spoken also by the prophets. In other words, there's another prophecy that you need to be careful about. That's the prophecy of Habakkuk. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. God has done the work of redemption. God has done the work of providing the forgiveness of sins and justification through Jesus Christ. God has done the work of salvation. Nothing that we can do. You can't work your way into righteousness. It's not by the works of righteousness which we can do, but it is by Jesus Christ we've been saved and justified. It's God's work of redemption. Now, beware, lest God has done a work and you don't believe it. And thus, you cannot partake. You do not receive because of the unbelief. So you are a fulfillment of of that prophecy that God said concerning the nation of Israel. I work a work in your days, but you will in no wise believe it even though it be declared unto you. Paul said, look, I'm declaring it unto you. And, you know, beware that you're not a part of that prophecy and that you don't believe. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them on the next Sabbath. Hey, I want to bring my friends. I want them to hear this. This is great. Preach the same sermon next Sunday. I've never had anybody tell me that. but (laughs) (laughs) They wanted to preach again. Good news. Love to hear it. Preach it again. Now, when the congregation was broken up, Many of the Jews and the Jewish proselytes, religious proselytes, followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. God has opened up your eyes to his wonderful grace, the provision of salvation. By grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God will work in you, so continue in this grace of God. And the next Sabbath day, practically the whole city came to the synagogue to hear the word of God. How exciting. Just how the news spread, the buzz of of the message of these men. The whole city turned out to hear it. But when the Jews saw the multitudes... They were filled with jealousy, envy. And they spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. They became very bold. And notice, no longer Barnabas and Paul, but now Paul and Barnabas. And they said, it was necessary that the word of God should have Been spoken to you first. But seeing you have put it from you and you judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, we'll turn to the Gentiles. So we've given you the message, but seeing that you don't want to hear it, you count yourself unworthy of the everlasting life that God has promised through Jesus, we're going to share with the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. The message of the gospel is not for any ethnic group exclusively. It's for the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature Jesus commanded the disciples. So, Turning now to the Gentiles, that we might fulfill the prophecies that said we would be a light of the Gentiles, salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. And they glorified the word of the Lord. An interesting verse, as many as were ordained unto eternal life believed. Interesting scripture. As many as were ordained unto eternal life believed. There is a divine mystery, incomprehensible to our finite minds, truths that we cannot in our finite minds reconcile the truth of the sovereignty of God, the election of God, as many as were ordained to eternal life. Who ordained them to eternal life? God. But yet, though God is sovereign and has elected and chosen that we should be in Christ before the foundations of the earth, God has also ordained that we must exercise our capacity of choice that he has given to us. So, the gospel is to whosoever will. Let him come. But the coming is up to you. You must come. You must exercise your power of choice in coming to Jesus Christ. So that mystery of the sovereignty of God and the human responsibility, the choice that God has given to man remains a mystery unsolved by all of the theologians through their argumentations throughout the centuries. Men lining up on one side, men lining up on the other side when both sides are correct, and that's why the argument keeps going. God is sovereign. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. But their belief was a matter of choice, as it always is. I choose to believe, I choose not to believe. As many as were ordained believe. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. It spread. Now you're in Galatia, the area of Galatia. And God's word is now spreading. It's a buzz. It's going all around throughout Galatia. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women. Now, in the culture of that day, the Roman influence and the Grecian influence, women were held in very low esteem. The Greeks used to say that every man should have a—you might say—courtesan, a girlfriend for the parties to accompany him at the parties, a prostitute for his sexual pleasure, and a wife to bear his legitimate children. Got to have someone staying home taking care of the kids, and and that was. That was their view of marriage and a woman. Very low view. And sexual immorality was rampant. And it was a curse. So women were often drawn to the Jewish religion because it gave a much higher esteem to the position of a wife and a much greater esteem to marriage and to faithfulness to the marriage vows. And so the honorable women, or the women whose husbands were the judges and and the magistrates, the city leaders and so forth, were oftentimes drawn to the Jewish religion because it did place a much higher value upon being a wife, being a mother, and the faithfulness in marriage. It attracted them. And so they would come to the synagogues. They would proselytize into the Jewish faith. And so the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women whose husbands were the prominent leaders within the city, and the chief men of the city. And they raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them out of their region. Get out of here. And so they shook off the dust of their feet against them, and they came to Iconium, not far away, in that same general area in Galatia, And the disciples, that is those who believed, were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And those two are synonymous. Just the joy of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with it in that area. So next week we go into the work of Iconium, and next week we complete the first missionary journey. This first journey, of course, took A long time, but we cover it in two chapters. And so we will see the remainder of Paul's ministry uh, in Galatia and their return to Antioch in our study next week. Shall we turn to Acts chapter 14 as we continue with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey? You remember last week, as they were ministering there in the church in Antioch, the Spirit of God separated Paul and Barnabas for a special missionary journey, the first outreach of the church into the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, You will be witnesses of me, both in Jerusalem and Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And as we look at the book of Acts, we find that this is exactly what is happening. They began their ministry in Jerusalem. They spread out through Judea. Philip went to Samaria, and now beginning with chapter 13, we have the witness of the church to the uttermost parts of the earth. So they went first to the island of Cyprus and then over to the area of Antioch in Pisidia, which is present-day Turkey. And so it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and they so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews also and of the Greeks, believed. Now, as they are coming to the area of Iconia, we mentioned last week that they have left the coastal plains and they've headed up to the high plateau, the region of Iconia, Lystra, Derby, which were in the area of Galatia. So when Paul wrote his Galatian epistle, he is writing it to these people. Now he is moving away from, uh, you might say, the advanced civilization, where there was great Roman power, and into the rural areas where they did not have the same kind of a rule that uh, Rome did exercise in the major areas. So you're getting into sort of wild west country, only it's wild east over there, and uh, you're getting into a uh, more of a ungoverned territory as far as Roman. Influence and government is concerned. But as they come to Iconian in the synagogue, great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. And therefore, for a long time, they spoke boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, it's interesting to me, as the opposition was stirred, rather than leaving and saying, well, you know, it's getting rough around here, they they just stayed. Uh, be, you know, in the face of the opposition, they remained. The interesting thing to me is that as they were there, this third verse, the Lord granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands, which gave testimony to the word of grace that they were sharing. In the book of Mark, as Jesus commanded the disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he said that certain signs would follow those that believed. And then Mark's gospel closes, they went everywhere preaching the word, the Lord confirming the word with signs following In other words, the miraculous signs were done in order to prove the word of God to the people. Now, I think that in the present time, there is a serious mistake that has been made and is being made by the church. And that is that endeavor to sort of uh, promote the signs and wonders within the church, and to try to attract people with signs and wonders. And and there's there's quite a move uh, at the present time and quite an emphasis upon signs and wonders, hoping that they will attract the unconverted. That is not how it happened in the early church. They were teaching and preaching the Word of God, and that was the chief emphasis of their ministry, was the teaching of the Word of God, and the signs and wonders followed the teaching of the Word to confirm the Word of God in the hearts of the people. So that here we find in Iconia, as they were teaching, the Lord gave witness to the truth of what they were saying with the signs and the wonders that were done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part held with the apostles. But And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them. And they became aware of it. They fled to Lystra and Derby, cities in Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. So, as we said, this is not an area that is really under the strict rule of the Roman government. This is more uh, of the mob rule. In fact, it was a lynch mob. Uh, that uh, gathered together to get rid of Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they they were plotting to lynch them, and so when they heard of this plot, uh, they fled on a little deeper into the land unto Derby and Lystra. Now this is the area Derby where Timothy uh, originated, and no doubt it was on this journey that Paul first met, Timothy. And there in Lystra and Derbe, they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet. He was a cripple from his mother's womb, never walked. And the same heard Paul speak. And so Paul, steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, here no doubt is a combination of gifts of the Spirit being exercised by Paul. The gift of prophecy as he is preaching the Word. The gift of discernment. For as he is preaching, he notices that there's this lame man over here. And Paul began to stare at him, look steadfastly at him. And as he did, he perceived that God gave to this man faith to be healed. So that's the gift of discernment, realizing that this man has faith to be healed. And so he said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. I think that probably the gift of faith was operating then. You know, if you're in a strange area preaching on the street and you got a crowd there listening and and there's a guy over here who's never walked, about 40 years old, for you to say, stand up on your feet, that would take a lot of faith. Then the gift of miracles, because the man began to leap and walk.
0: We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Acts in our next broadcast, as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on God's instrument. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Acts 12 through 13 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org.
1: The forgiveness of sins that is preached to us through Jesus Christ. By his death, he atoned. Lord, we thank you for justification by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, whereby we have been justified of all of the things we've ever done that were contrary to you. All of the rebellion and all of the laws that we violated, Lord, you've cleaned the record. And we thank you for justification by faith. And Lord, we thank you that you have ordained us to eternal life. And thus you've drawn us by your Holy Spirit to yourself. And you've opened our hearts to the truth and you've revealed your truth to us. And you gave us, Lord, the capacity to choose, to believe, and to have eternal life. Lord, we just pray your blessing now upon your church and your people. Bless, Lord, and make it a special week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California.
1: Have you ever had a friend who's not a believer and they ask you a question about the Bible and you're thrilled? Finally, they want to know about God, but then you go blank because you can't remember the scripture that would answer their very question. You're not alone. It happens to me all the time. And I think if only I had a quick scripture reference that would help me right then and there, that would be perfect. Well, guess what I found? Pastor Chuck's Old and New Testament study guides are available to download as ebooks instantly to your phone or mobile device. Now, whenever you need to find the meaning to a scripture reference quickly, you can. Pastor Chuck has written great little Bible commentaries to help anyone come to a better understanding of God's Word. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit the and click on the link to download the Old and New Testament study guides by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order these books in print, call the Word for Today
0: at 800 277 to 9673.